Welcome to Witch and Goddess. I'm your host, Patty Black. I'm a witch, a teacher, and priestess. Goddess devotion is an essential part of my craft, and many goddesses are my cohorts in magic. Each episode, we explore a different goddess, her lore, and how to connect with her energetically and magically. Welcome to another episode of Witch and Goddess. I'm so happy to be joining you once again, sharing more tales of the Divine Feminine. Today, we have a date with one of the most magical goddesses of antiquity, the Sorceress Circe. Her name is sometimes pronounced Kirk, but the origins and meaning of her name are less clear. Like a lot of etymology, sources disagree on its meaning. Some claim that it's synonymous with the word sorcery, while others say it's derived from the Greek verb kirku, meaning to secure with rings or hoop around, which is potentially a reference to the binding power of magic. Another interpretation of Circe may be bird, specifically hawk or falcon. Helios, Sicate, Medea, Ariadne, these are just a few of Circe's divine connections and relations. However, when it comes to neo-pagan goddesses, she's relatively unknown. You're not guaranteed to find her in books, and if you do find her name in a reference, she might not even be categorized as a goddess, but as a mortal who just happened to be known for witchcraft. She seems to keep to the sidelines. In fact, major themes of Circe's myths are isolation and solitude. Several sources, such as Hesiod's Theogony and the Odyssey, credit Helios and Percy, who was the daughter of the god Oceanus, as Circe's parents. But according to Diodorus of Sicily, Circe and Medea are the daughters of the witch goddess, Hecate. Now, Circe is often called the original sorceress, similar to some titles given to Hecate. It's also said that she was a priestess or student of Hecate, along with her niece, Medea. She has been titled polypharmacos, meaning one who knows many drugs. And among all of her magic, she is particularly renowned for her knowledge and mastery of herbs and potions. Many of the tales of Circe's magic show her using it in less than wholesome ways. For example, some versions of her story say that Circe poisoned her first husband, the king of Sarmate, along with several of his subjects, just to see if she could. She was then cast out of the kingdom, and this may have been when her father, Helios, carried her in his chariot of golden rays to Aia. But more on that a bit later. Homer says that Circe is, quote, a dreadful goddess with lovely hair and human speech, while Apollonius wrote that her eyes were a flashing gold that shot out rays of light. The same as all of Helios's progeny, apparently. Many classical descriptions of the goddess use words like lustrous, shining, and beautiful. But even more is made of her so-called human speech. Now, I assume that it differs from that of her titan relations because it lacks some overwhelmingly divine beauty or greatness. Madeline Miller offers an interesting perspective to this trait by positioning Circe's small human voice as irritating and unbearable to her family of gods initiating Circe's lifelong experience of being ostracized. Could her human voice be the source of the rumors that still persist, that Circe is not a goddess but a mortal witch? And a question for myself, is Circe's proximity to mortals 
linked to my fascination with her. Because to me, Circe somehow feels closer than other goddesses, almost within reach, more so than Hecate, whose name literally alludes to distance. But back to that voice. Homer makes a big deal about Circe's beautiful singing voice when Odysseus's men first encounter her, but at other points labels her speaking voice as shrill. Sadly, there's a pattern of Circe experiencing rejection, especially when it comes to her potential lovers. Circe was in love with a very minor sea god named Glaucus. But of course, this guy was in love with the beautiful and popular Scylla. When Glaucus did not return Circe's affection, she managed to poison the sea pool where Scylla bathed. And so the beauty was transformed into a dragon-like sea monster with actual dog heads growing from her body. The Roman tale of Circe and Picus has similar themes of rejection and jealousy. Circe loved Picus, the son of Cronus. Once again, her feelings were not returned because the object of her affection was in love with another. Circe used this rejection as an opportunity to practice her skill of transformation, and soon Picus was a woodpecker. But she wasn't finished. When his friends came looking for him, Circe transformed the whole crew into animals as well. Now, perhaps because of these misadventures, she was sent away to live on the beautiful but lonely island of Aia. Now, I'm doing my best with pronunciation. This island's name literally consists of two vowels repeating. So it's well established that Circe dwelled in relative isolation on the paradise-like Isle of Aia, which may be located off the western coast of Italy. Apollonius and Hesiod told of Circe being delivered to Aia by her father Helios in his golden chariot, while Valerius Flaccus wrote that she was brought by winged dragons. Circe wasn't entirely alone. She was accompanied by nymphs and handmaidens, who assisted her in the gathering of the flowers and plants for her magical brews. Living in a marble palace on the island, she spent much of her time weaving, singing, and of course studying and improving her magical skills. She was surrounded by her tamed lions, wolves, and other wild animals, and of course the occasional male island visitor turned pig. So, what does a modern witch have to do to get banished to Aia? Just wondering. Myths and tales of Circe are rich sources for magical inspiration, but the best known is her role in Homer's Odyssey, where Circe features as a dangerous femme fatale, transforming the hero Odysseus's men into swine and luring Odysseus himself into her bed, thus delaying his journey home for an entire year. From a translation of the Odyssey. In the glades, they found the palace of Kirk, built of smooth stones on open ground. Outside, there were lions and mountain wolves that she had herself bewitched by giving them magic drugs. The beasts did not set upon my men. They reared up instead and fawned on them with their long tails. So did these lions, these wolves with their powerful claws, circle fawningly round my comrades. The sight of the strange, huge creatures dismayed my men, but they went on and paused at the outer doors of the goddess of braided hair. And now they could hear Kirk within, singing with her beautiful voice as she moved to and fro at the wide web that was more than earthly, delicate, gleaming, delectable, as a goddess's handiwork needs must be, a goddess or a woman, moving to and fro at her wide web and singing a lovely song that the whole floor re-echoes with.
and she came forth at once. She opened the shining doors. She called them to her, and in their heedlessness, they all entered. The goddess ushered them in, gave them all seats, high or low, and blended for them a dish of cheese and of barley meal, of yellow honey and wine. But with these good things she mingled pernicious drugs as well, to make them forget their own country utterly. Having given them this, and waited for them to have their fill, she struck them suddenly with her wand, then drove them into the styes where she kept her swine. And now the men had the form of swine, the snout and grunt and bristles, only their minds were left unchanged. Circe is one of the most compelling characters in Homer's epic poem, proven by the countless depictions of her in art and portraits throughout the centuries. Her nature and motives aren't pure, but she's fascinating in her complexity. And of course, the world of men has long been equally turned on and terrified by a magical and powerful woman with a mind of her own. The English painter, John William Waterhouse, seemed greatly influenced by the goddess, as he painted her three times. And Waterhouse's depictions of Circe equally influence us, because they're the most common images that accompany articles and stories featuring her. A true Greek goddess, many of Circe's myths place her firmly on earth, working what I consider very practical witchcraft. But Circe has long been labeled a predatory female. Even today, she's infamous as a witch and sexually free woman. The word Circean, from her name, means having the quality of a fascinating sorceress, or dangerously, fatally attractive or misleading. And she accepts the role of outcast, whether because of her sexuality, her magic, or because of the unscrupulous ways she used that magic. Surely Circe felt lonely at least once or twice on that island, but she kept herself busy. Isolation is a familiar experience for many of us. Witchcraft is a deeply personal practice, one that can go to the very heart of our identities. Having to hide or even minimize our magical selves can make existing in the mundane world lonely and draining. And building new relationships almost always means wondering when or if to disclose your magical identity. Who will accept the real me? And who will reject me? And will that rejection be dangerous for me or my family? Today's witches often live between two worlds. Many of us have to show up wearing the mask of a normal, non-magical employee, professional, friend, son, daughter, parent. Wearing this mask might be necessary, but it can leave us feeling disconnected from our magic. We may even feel like imposters in both magical and mundane settings. I find Circe and her themes highly relatable. Rejection, isolation, strangeness, being the outcast, sorcery and magic, poison, seduction, jealousy, independence, and wildness. I recommend connecting with her by being true to your unique magic. She's definitely highly connected to foraging, creating potions, and other types of plant magic, but I like to think she wants us to pursue whatever part of the craft makes our little hearts sing. What is your witch identity? Let's explore a few ways to embrace your own witch identity, safe ways to express your magic, sneaky ways to show up as your witch self in the mundane world, and methods for deepening in connection with your inner magic. Remember the gifts only you offer. 
What are the things, big or small, that you are known for? Visual arts, caring for community, healing, organizing, whatever it is. How can those talents be translated into your magical practice? Can you use spells or ritual to enhance those skills or activities? If you volunteer for an organization, can you also do some magic to support their work? If you're a wonderful caregiver, can you enhance that role by creating magical protections or other workings for those you nurture? What do you do for a living or in your day-to-day -day life? How can you use witchcraft to perform or help with those tasks? Are you a teacher? Speaking from experience, there are endless ways to make a classroom more harmonious and conducive to learning through witchcraft. If you felt disconnected from your magical essence, consider the following suggestions to rekindle that fire. Watch a magical movie featuring a badass witch. Or read a book about inspiring witches. I highly recommend Circe by Madeline Miller. Teach someone something magical like answer a question in a group or share your favorite magical or energetic technique. Learn something new or buy a new book that gets you excited about a new magical topic, deity, or practice. Draw a magical sigil under your desk or under your work clothes to hide while you're at work. And here are a few questions to think or even journal about. Where are you allowed to be your magical self? Are there any communities or places where you can discuss your practices or activities freely? If so, how often do you take advantage of that? What friends or family members are accepting of your magical and spiritual identity? When do you feel you're most magical? How can you nurture that feeling or bring it into other parts of your life? Personally, I love ritual as a way to make every day more magical and sacred. Now you can join me in exclusive monthly rituals by subscribing to Support Witch and Goddess for just $4.99. It's a great way to support this podcast and join me for new video rituals every month. Every month you'll receive a new video featuring me leading you through the steps of a special ritual designed to transform your life and magical practice. Through these rituals, we connect with different goddesses, honor the transitions of life, and experience the sacred nature of living as a witch. And I love to use subscriber suggestions for ritual themes. Ritual is a powerful agent for change on both the inner and outer levels. We can shape ourselves and influence our world. Equally powerful and necessary right now. Now there are more stories and facets of Cersei to explore. So expect another episode about her in the future. Once again, thanks for listening. Connect with me on Instagram at witchandgoddesspod or visit my website at blackbirdmagic.com, that's magic with a CK, to learn about my courses, mentorship, and join my free witchcraft group. Sources for this episode include Hecate, Liminal Rites by Sarita de Este and David Rankin. Circe, Summoning the Original Witch, an article by Dr. Cindy Brannan. Circe by Madeline Miller. Encyclopedia of Spirits by Judica Illis. And The New Book of Goddesses and Heroines by Patricia Monahan.